Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We have the second part of the show that we started the other day, how to price hard-price homes in this market. Um, and Julie, welcome to, to today's podcast. That's always a tongue twister for me. I need to work on that. I need to practice it. <laughs> I know. Welcome we to today's podcast. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, welcome. So, yeah, we have a great show. I think this is going to be something that's relevant to obviously everyone. Some of you are suffering through one of the longest winters I can remember, and you're discovering that, hey, you know what, the, sellers, the seller listing leads are starting to come out of the woodwork and you are not ready to be uh, dealing with the new pricing system regime that's in place. And I get it. Look, the market's changed. The market's changed radically in the past, really, in some of your markets last three or four months. Have you been paying attention? Some of you just start re-listing to us again in the spring. You kind of tune out during what you consider to be the non-selling seasons. I realize that there's a vast majority of you who are, uh, you know, look, we have tens of thousands of daily listeners. It's inevitable that not all of you are going to be full-time in the business. So you are just now discovering that, hey, turns out what Tim and Julie were saying last year was true, and the real estate market is definitely shifted so go back and listen to the past podcast because we've been here working hard for you for the past few months over the winter when you probably were tuned out so tune back in get caught back up or if you're really wanting to do the next smart thing just join premier coaching you know that's the easy button for getting ahead in this market why are you going to waste another second trying to figure out what your next smart move is and we've laid it all out for you so on today's show what we're going to be talking about is how to price homes in this market. Before we get to that, I want to uh, tell actually Julie and the rest of you about a show that I'm going to be writing today. I had a very interesting, um, probably 45-minute to an hour-long conversation with Gary Keller the other day. And uh, he and I were talking about uh, three or four different topics that I'm going to share with you on the podcast. Gary is one of the – I think Gary's one of the most um, – hmm, I don't know if one of the most or the most at this point influential people in real estate. I'd say one of the most five, the five most influential people in real estate in, from the residential agent's perspective for the last probably 20 years. I don't think there's too many people would argue with me about that, maybe even the top three. And um, we were talking obviously a lot about the technology uh, that's essentially um, – I was going to say invading the real estate space, but really it's beyond that at this point. The technology that's essentially going to be dictating how you conduct your business going forward. We talked about what Keller Williams is creating as far as technology. We also talked about a couple of things that I was very, very grateful that he was willing to talk about. Big teams and the lack of profitability. So that's going to be a shocker for a lot of you who thinks that Gary Keller is the one that laid out the framework for you to build these big unprofitable teams. He absolutely didn't. I'm going to tell you exactly what he and I talked about, and uh, really talked. To, and we're going to also I'm going to share with you some other things that I was kind of surprised about that he was willing to share. I um, am realizing now that his uh, how many people are interpreting what his um, beliefs are about the real estate business. And what they truly are completely different. And I was summarized that last time Julie and I met with Gary face to face, 
was probably over 20 years ago, and we were behind stage, and it was uh, – you remember this, Julie. It was Howard mm-hmm. Britton, it was Dave Linegar, and it was Gary Keller. And this was right when Keller Williams was really starting to be a big threat to REMAX, and that was the big talk. I mean, all these REMAX agents were moving over from – you know, Remax to Keller Williams, and I remember standing next to, um, of course, Howard. For those of you guys who remember him, he was always jovial. You know, you never not you know, being around Howard was always a um, an uplifting experience. There were no exceptions. And uh, but being around those two at that time, that was a little bit. You know, Julie and I were just sort of wide-eyed new agents who'd you know sold all these houses, and so everyone was just super. And I'd say super, super, super. What's the word, Julie? Help me out here. Superfluously. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> nice to us. In other words, they were just putting in their time being nice oh, to us at that point, I, nice I think. Yes, yes, maybe that was the word. More caffeine, right? Yeah. That's what I need to infuse myself with. But the, I mean, that was our experience. But, 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 you know, so hello, Tim. Hello, Julie. Hello. Da, 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 da. And then we sort of stepped back, and we sort of observed as those two were um, kind of exchanging glances and, um, you know, forcing themselves to various niceties. But it was incredibly ex- interesting from uh, from our perspective, because from there they went on stage and it was very uncomfortable and for just to watch it, um, and then for the next probably ten or fifteen years, Keller Williams started to really become the most dominant real estate brokerage in the world, not just in the United States. A lot of the tenants, and here's the other. I'm going to just foreshadow a little bit of what I was uh, talking to him about. A lot of the tenants of what made Keller Williams so. Uh, successful, and I'm not going to say fast because you know 20 or 30 years isn't fast, and relatively speaking. But one of the things that made Keller Williams so successful was the fact that they were willing at the time to do something that nobody else was willing to do, which was share profits. And that's something that agents really got excited about. And I remember when Keller Williams was going around trying to expand, trying to sell regions. And I remember talking with the McKissicks. Actually, they stayed at our house, Linda and Jim, wonderful people. And we talked with just different people that were doing different things with Keller Williams. And Julie and I were in Howard Britton at the time, and Keller Williams was just, oh, everywhere. <laughs> it was insane. Um, it just really was insane. It was almost like we got invaded by locusts. It was for two or three Howard Britton conferences in a row. Everyone was just really, really aggressively uh, recruiting for Keller Williams. It, you know, it was uncomfortable. And honestly, it was disrespectful to Howard, but that was aside the point. It was his decision. So – what were they really recruiting based on? What was the founding tenant? What was the thing that was attracting them to Keller Williams? And it was the same thing that EXP is doing now. It is. It was essentially they're going after agents who want to basically participate, obviously, in the ownership of the company, which is something Keller Williams didn't do. You know, Gary didn't give away stock like Keller or like EXP is. But the other thing was fascinating is it really was pushed upon agents the idea that you can be uh, benefiting long term and build long term wealth from profit share. Well. That was, again, I'm going to talk about that on this upcoming podcast, but that's something that they don't really have as a leading value proposition anymore. They don't talk about the value, about the profit share anymore. And that's, you know, something EXP does talk about because they're revenue sharing. And just kind of having Gary's viewpoints from at least the way I translated them um, about, you know, Keller Williams back in the 90s was always accused of being an MLM. That's what everyone said. That's how all the competitors of Keller Williams framed it. It was an MLM. I don't, do you remember that, Julie? Everywhere you yeah, went? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what um, the uh, Keller Williams people are trying to do to frame against EXP, trying to say it's an MLM. And, and uh, Gary even said that. And I thought that was fascinating. 
that it's kind of like the whole world has kind of come around again and history is repeating itself. I know. Mm -hmm. This is fascinating. Anyway, so I'm going to write these points down. I've given myself two days to really kind of digest the call because talking with uh, Gary Keller is not like talking with a normal person. I mean, the guy is so freaking brilliant. So I'm going to, I'm going to really write down my thoughts and as uh, practically and tactically as I can and share those thoughts with all of you so that you can get, I, I think, my takeaway from after talking with Gary is a massive level of respect for him and um, appreciation, frankly, for what he's, uh, what he's accomplished as a business owner, but what he's accomplished. I'm not going to say he's hung himself on the cross for agents, even though that's what agents think. He hasn't. He built himself a really nice business that was a better fly trap at the time than everyone else was offering. Now, that's changed over time. Everyone's matched them. Everyone's offering caps now. Even Remax went from 100%. Now they're offering caps. In some markets, there's really no discernible difference between the value proposition to an agent comparing it Remax to you know virtually any other brand or Keller Williams to any other brand. The only thing that's really different right now out there is truly EXP, and that's fascinating to me. Uh, it's fascinating that EXP really has created this sort of best-of-breed business model specifically to benefit agents. Not to benefit, There's no real benefit to brokers in EXP. There's no benefit to region holders. But EXP is not a franchise, so they're not trying to sell franchises. It's, it's a fascinating next step that I think Gary Keller and I think all these other – uh, maybe two or three other, you know, certainly Dave Linegar, I they must be looking at the EXP business model and realizing that the franchise uh, uh, framework or the franchise brokerage model really has to be on its heels. That going forward, the new model is going to be EXP or people that try to essentially take uh, the best ideas from EXP and create their own brokerage model. That has to be the way forward because from an agent's perspective and from talking to all these different brokerages around the country, I really don't see how they're – now, again, there's exceptions, obviously. There's exceptional traditional brokers. There's exceptional offices even within – like you could have a, a really wonky you know, brokerage franchise, and, but you have a few exceptional offices just because the ownership and the management. I mean, you have exceptions to all this. But I'm going to break all this down into probably seven or ten points I took from this call, and then I've got some other um, – high-level calls uh, lined up over the next couple of weeks. I'm also share those with you, maybe get some of these people on the podcast. Most of them don't want to be on the podcast uh, because I do, Julie and I do the podcast live, and they always like to be able to essentially reframe their answers in the event that they don't like how they sound. They're very, very um, – I was going to say suspicious, I will say suspicious. They're very guarded about uh, any sort of exposure that they can't control. And I understand that, and I appreciate that. That's one of Robert Greene's, uh, what was it, Julie, the, uh, the power book? Remember that power book? Yeah. Right? 26 rules or, yes. <laughs> Whatever it was. I <laughs> can't yeah. remember the exact so, title, but, yeah, the rules of power. Right. So that's going to be sometime this week, maybe tomorrow or maybe the next day. It depends on how long it takes me to write it and how many other – distractions I have. But in the meantime, Julie, anyone you'd like to acknowledge from um, our, our private coaching page or anyone in uh, particular? Yes, actually, I'd like to give a, a shout out to uh, one of the best agents in Chicago, Deborah Hess. She works at Compass, actually, and I'm giving her a shout out because she had a really killer week last week in the dead of winter in Chicago. She sold two fairly high-end listings very quickly because she followed these rules that we're going over over the podcast that we started and today don't go unless you know specific things about pricing. She proved that even in, I think she said it was three degrees there today. I think it's cold here in Texas and it's 27. It's three. And she's still out there taking listings and selling them. So I just wanted to give her a special shout out as an example that when you do price it right, 
even you know, in a potentially challenging market, challenging circumstances, they are still going to sell right away. When you, when you price them right and you stage them and you talk to your sellers and you have a real strategy, things will sell in any market when you do it right. And when we started talking about uh, these pricing rules, the premise is that when you price it correctly in the first place, which is a moving target now, it's much more challenging in a changing market to price it right in the first place than in a really hot seller's market where you can basically throw a dart at the wall and maybe be off by a little bit and the market will correct you. It is more challenging to do it right in the first place, and it does take a higher level of touch with your sellers to be able to manage those relationships. So absolutely it can be done, but you do have to be more careful. So we started out by talking about don't go if you don't know is the way I try and have our agents um, and our podcast listeners sort of um, memorize these types of points. You should never go to a listing if you don't know what the seller wants, needs, or thinks it's worth. I'm not going to go through all of the points that we already did, but we talked about average days in the market. We talked about list-to-sell price ratio. talked about the number of homes competing with your subject property. That does matter. Sometimes the difference between putting it on the market in the winter with only two things competing against it is a benefit versus waiting until the spring when there's 10 coming out of the woodwork and it's going to be a race to the right price. So in addition to that, we talked about knowing what the seller's time frame is. I think, that's, I think we talked about new construction in the area that can compete with your potential listing. You need to know about that. So that was rule number five. Rule number six, this is our segue here. Don't go to a listing unless you know what the seller's time frame is. Ideally, when does this need to sell and close by? Here's the secret to this. If they don't actually have a time frame, you may have a problem. The less motivated they are, the higher they almost always want to price it. That is a recipe for a tough relationship. So the lower the seller's motivation is, the higher the price goes. The higher the motivation, the more reasonably they will let you uh, price it based on comps because they know they've got to get it sold. Anything you want to add to that rule, time frame matters. Yeah, time frame. I mean, that's the most part. And I always think every time you give these examples, these are, you know, the higher end the seller is, the harder it is to get them to spill the beans on what their motivation is. Um, you know, I have Julie and I have a lot of very, very high end uh, real estate clients, and you, those folks, are oftentimes they're not motivated like normal people are because they don't ever really truly have to sell. And in a changing market like we're experiencing now. What we told all of our high-end agents back in 07, 08 is we told them to turn all their high-end sellers who would otherwise uh, be frustrated with the lack of an offer because the house was worth less than what they paid for or less than that they're willing to sell it for. We suggested that they turn all those properties into high-end rentals, and they did. And in doing so, not only did they make cash flow off leasing the properties, but most importantly, they kept their relationship through the slowdown all the way back to the recovery and relisted those properties and then oftentimes um, kept the listing. So I'm, you know, as Julie's going through these points, if you're selling in one of these really high-end markets, you've got to be careful that you're really being a little bit more considerate of your situation and knowing that those sellers don't necessarily have the same levels of motivation. And uh, you go anyway, right? Even if they don't have to sell, which they don't, you go anyway. You just keep in mind that you might have to offer a little bit more, op a few more options than a normal seller. That's right, but you should know what their circumstances are. I think sometimes agents are afraid of asking. They think they're going to talk themselves out of a listing. All kinds of weird psychology happens. I think not asking and not knowing is the real malpractice, not the opposite. So related to this is rule number seven. What is motivating the sale? When you know why they want to slash have to move, 
you can use that to stay on task during the appointment, referring to their needs and making it more about them than about you. I will never remember, I will never remember, I will never forget uh, a coaching client who came back from an extremely competitive listing appointment in LA. She was competing against not one, not two, not three, but six other realtors. Can you imagine? I mean, what kind of time does a seller have to meet with six agents? And all of them were uh, fairly decent producers, um, she being one of them. She ended up taking the listing, and I asked her why they chose her over the competition. And she said, you trained me to ask them that, so I did. And they said, quote, you were the only one of everyone we talked to who actually asked about why we were moving, what our needs were, and what our time frame was. She was the only one who even asked them about what their needs were what was important to them, and that resonated with them. And then they said, and you didn't give us the highest price either. So I thought that was interesting, that that gave her more credibility than going in and overpricing, sometimes does, you know, mistakenly. So motivation, make sure that you ask. Here's the secret. When you can highlight what they need, you can actually deliver on that. Not knowing what they need or knowing when they need it by is a handicap in the relationship. For one thing, it takes you longer on the appointment to drill down and get any information and facts. Secondly, that can cause your appointment to go off the rails because you weren't prepared based on what you now know. And third, the longer you're there, the less they trust you. So it's never a good thing to guesstimate. I know people have taught you sometimes that it's all a cookie cutter thing and they all want the same thing, the highest price and the best terms. And to some degree that's true. But for some of them, I mean, I can remember all these appointments, especially with like single guys where the stainless steel refrigerator and keeping the pool table was more important than price, <laughs> right? I mean, that would come out. Um, sometimes time frame is more important than price, so don't make assumptions. Now, rule number eight is important to them and to you. Are they listing and buying or just listing? Is there a referral needed for where they're moving to? Are they already in contract on something? This is a motivation thing, but it also has to do with strategy. In some markets, it's better for them to buy first and then sell if they can swing it. Other times, you're going to have to sell first, do a lease back, and then buy. Lots of different ways to do this. In some of the more competitive markets, our coaching clients have written little uh, mini guides, how to buy and sell at the same time without making yourself homeless or owning two at the same time. You have to have a strategy. If you don't know if you're getting both, it's a little awkward when you find out on the spot. Rule number nine, what happens if it doesn't sell, slash, what happens if they don't get, quote, their price? You need to know whether keeping the house is an option for them or not. That's a really important point to consider. Are they considering keeping it as a rental if it doesn't sell? Are they considering not moving at all if they don't get, quote, their price? And this whole concept of their price versus your price Remember our previous point on the uh, first podcast we did on this. You know, sellers are almost always going to be higher than the comps. It's just what happens when you decide to sell your house. Your script is, that's interesting, how did you arrive at that price? Rarely, but sometimes, they actually know about a pocket listing or a different comp that you didn't pull up in your comps. That might make a difference. Sometimes you're going to find out that it's not based on any kind of reality, and you just have to drill down more on the comps. But you need to know how they arrived at that price, even if it's not your price. Does that make sense, Tim? Does definitely. It's pricing. Well, thing Julie, is you're touching, you're, but you're, touch, you're touching on something there too, right? That's getting into an ego conversation. I've had this conversation bazillions of times in the past six months. Um, 
don't lose a listing over price. Don't lose a listing because it's, they're not agreeing to your price. Well, there's no time for us to talk about that on today's podcast, but what really you need to do is text the word Harris to 31996. Text the word Harris to 31996. We're going to give you six free books, including Real Estate Treasure Map and Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate. And when you do so, just by texting the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996, we are also going to be entitled to a free coaching call with one of our new member coaches. One of the things that all of you have to realize when you're in a phase two market is that if you're not in um, alignment with what, how the seller's thinking or even how the buyers are thinking, you're not going to do any, trans, any transactions whatsoever. No one's going to list with you, and you're going to scare your buyers off. Some of you are, I realize, just coming out of your winter slumbers now, and you're not yet fully engaged with the fact that all the rules have changed. Or maybe you're not going to really accept the fact that all the rules have changed for another three or four months, and you're going to lose this year's, um, frankly, you're going to lose all the momentum this year, and you're not going to have any sales this year, or you're going to have so few that you might as well not have even uh, called yourself a real estate agent. That is the cold, hard truth about what happens in a market like this. Go back and listen to the podcast that Julie and I did on the phases of the real estate cycle. Just go to timandjulieharris.com and use the little search bar. It's the upper right-hand part of the screen, and just put in the word reset, and you'll find the – I think it was four or five podcasts we did on that. But really the bottom line is is the manner in which you communicate with sellers – as Julie is fond of saying, and it's true, buyer, working with buyers is physical labor. Working with sellers is mental labor. In this marketplace, actually working with buyers and sellers is both mental labor and physical labor sometimes just because the opposition from both of them, both buyers and sellers, to accepting the realities of the new market is going to – if you don't know what to say and how to say it, you, are, you will be just absolutely run over by agents who do. This is a time – a lot of people don't like to use the word competition. A lot of people don't like to say, you know, other agents, your competitors, are sort of this nice, soft and gushy, sort of, you know, liberally-minded thinking about business. It doesn't apply. It never really applies, but it certainly doesn't apply in a market like this because what happens in a market like this is you go from a relationships-based um, a business model, which is what centers of influence and past clients have traditionally been, to a skills-based business model. So your relationship-based business model works when the sellers know that anybody could sell the house because it's a hot seller's market. As soon as that market changes, they might call you out because you're in their centers of influence the past client to interview, but you won't take the listing because they're going to be listing with someone who actually has the skill to get the job done. How are they going to determine who that person is? By their approach. By do they have a pre-listing pack? Do they pre-qualify? Do they actually you know, have a professional listing presentation? Do they do things like, a profe- like they expect professionals to do them? Or do they have conversations with them about pricing, even if it's in slight conflict with what maybe the seller's expectation is, but because the agent knew how to say things in such an understandable professional way, they realize they're not just dealing with a normal agent. If you're not that agent, you're not going to get selected to sell the listings in a market like this because of the fact the sellers are scared that the house won't sell. This is the new reality. This is what happens in a market like this. This is the reason that, you know, so many agents, especially those of you who are dependent on centers of influence and past clients, aren't going to make it through this market. You have to learn how to compete. You have to realize that there's only one signature that gets on that listing contract. There's only one agent. Well, there's two agents if there's a buyer and seller side, right, that's going to get a commission check. Is that you? That's competition, guys. So wake up. Realize that if you don't have an unfair advantage in your marketplace, you're not even marginally competitive in this marketplace. So do the right thing and text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, 
to 31996. And we're going to give you six books. We're going to give you Real Estate Treasure Map. We're going to give you Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate. And you're also entitled to a free coaching call with one of our new member coaches. Go ahead and do that now. Text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. Yeah, you know, you talk about the changing market and how much more frosty you have to be with your skills. And I, I just feel so bad for the agents that sometimes they don't even find out because somebody from their past, you know, uh, past transaction repeat and referral that they thought they had in the bag, that person doesn't even tell them. They kind of disappear on them. They choose somebody else and they wait a little while. And then that agent who thought they had it in the bag finds out, oh, my gosh, they listed with somebody else. How could they do that? And they get so outraged, and they, they don't make it about the right thing, which was they didn't do a good enough job to take the listing. And sometimes it actually can be very hurtful to them. I feel so bad for the ones that aren't going to make that change and upgrade their skills because it can be very blindsiding. I would rather have them be temporarily uncomfortable having to learn some new scripts and skills and communication and you know, be better at all of that with the mental work that listings take than have the mental and emotional heartache of losing deals and then having to get into action or maybe running out of time to get in, add, into real action and becoming a real estate statistic instead. I mean, that makes me sad that, you know, unfortunately, hopefully not very many of our listeners are going to be like that, but the ones that wait too long will. So there you are. Um, Rule number nine was what happens if it doesn't sell? You need to know if they have a backup plan. And number 10, how did they happen to call you? Track your sources of business. Use your whiteboard to track where your business is coming from. When you know where it comes from, you can pour more effort into what's working and get rid of the things that you thought worked, but you just keep paying for and not getting any business from. Or you're breaking even. I love it when agents try and justify like buying leads and, well, but I broke even on it. Well, no, you didn't. You didn't break even on your time, right? You still had that out there and the money expenditure. So be careful to track your sources of business. Some of you will be surprised to see where all of your business is coming from. Um, you know, everybody has different spokes in the wheel, but you need to know what they are so that you can continue to work the ones that are best for you and maybe add on some things and replace stuff that doesn't work anymore. So those are our pricing rules. We talked about some uh, secrets at the top of this series. A great seller pre-qualification script pulls out all of these facts that we talked about. It helps you find out what the seller wants price-wise. It helps you understand their motivation and their time frame. And maybe they've got some other comps in mind that they're using. How did they arrive at their price? Remember that your price reduction scripts and conversations are best done at the time you take the listing so that you don't have to do price reductions later. Of course, you have to know your price reduction scripts, but it's better to not have to do them in the first place. Another rule that we had was that if they have to sell, have to sell versus want to sell, and we talked about that, you have to take the listing because somebody's going to make the commission. You might as well be the one that helps that person with their transaction so that you both win in the end, even if they start out a little bit higher and down the line they're going to be motivated. We talked about examples of people building houses where they come out of the gates a little bit high because they don't want to make themselves homeless yet. Relocation is another example of, of finding their motivation. So if they have to sell, your rule should be, unless there's some other circumstance which would have come out in the pre-qualification script, if they have to sell, you have to list it. My challenge is finding enough people who have to sell and getting you to your magic number. The magic number is the number of listings it takes for you to have active at all times to meet or exceed your monthly financial goals. 
and we did a whole podcast on the magic number several times. It's that's in the part of the real estate book. treasure map. Yep. That's the, the treasure yeah. map. Well, that's no, part of, no yeah, part of the treasure map, which, which they get for free. Real estate treasure map. All they have to do is text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. Text the word Harris to 31996. So listen, guys, and I know, Julie, you've got to get to uh, Premier Coaching. Yep. In the couple minutes we have left, I want to continue to thank you, and I'm going to do this because I'm a big believer in Julie as well and all of our coaches and staff of showing gratitude um, for keeping this the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate agents. It really is something that we are massively thankful for. It's something we do not take for granted. We put our uh, we put tremendous thought into making this podcast something that we would have wanted to listen to back when we were selling real estate. Because when we were selling real estate, we had to actually. You, I think nowadays, you guys have a thousand times harder job sifting and sorting through information to to ascertain what actually is um, believable. Because there's so much bullshit that's out there. It's ridiculous. And we've tried to break it down on our podcast so that you can make educated, informed decisions. And one of the biggest, I think, filters that you need to create for yourself is before you decide to buy anything, a CRM, which frankly most of you don't need, branding, postcards, anything that's going to be a lead generator, anything like that, the first question you have to ask yourself is, are, are you thinking about buying this, whatever it is, fill-in-the-blank thing, because you are trying to avoid – doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. In other words, are you thinking about buying whatever it is that's trying to be sold to you because of the fact that you think that that's going to save you from having to actually do the real work in real estate, which is learning how to become a very skilled salesperson? If you are actually being seduced by all those easy button ideas, I assure you that in this changing market, you are going to suffer tremendously because everybody else is going to run to those same things that's going to become oversaturated. Um, look at Zillow, for example. Okay, Zillow is now in a um, – I would say, frankly, they're in panic mode with what's happening. They're, um, look, how long have Julie and I been rallying against buying buyer leads? That's actually something else Gary and I talked a little bit about. Um, Gary, frankly, is the only other voice I know in real estate that's been as vocal as Julie and I have been, or maybe say as we've been as vocal as he has been, with regards to the insanity of buying buyer leads. Frankly, the insanity of buying buyer team, of, of building big teams. That's something I'm really looking forward to uh, share with all of you on the podcast. That's, he and I had a great conversation about that. He is really quite disgusted by the big teams, which I think you'll remember your um, loyal coaches, Tim and Julie Harris, have also been telling you to avoid. And here it is, the person who has been uh, – the, the big teams have rationalized, well, I'm following Gary Keller's Red Book, and that's the reason I'm forming this big team. Well, it turns out the guy that wrote the Red Book doesn't like the fact that you're using his name to bastardize his original concepts and form these big, dumb, unprofitable teams. And we're going to talk about that. I did write a lot of notes down when he and I were talking about that aspect of it. But frankly, we were just lockstep about that point. But the moral of the story is – you are going to be inundated with calls and emails and all kinds of communications from all these companies trying to sell you easy button ideas. So if you're trying to determine what it is that you should be spending your money on when I get emails like that, the answer is usually nothing other than basically improving your skills. That's the truth. All these whiz-bang things that you think you need to do to make yourself different in the marketplace so someone will hire you, Here's what you need to do to make yourself different in the marketplace so someone will hire you. Make yourself hireable. Make it so that you have a skill set to solve somebody else's problems. A lot of agents are putting these big fancy wrappers on themselves with the branding and the, mark, the websites and all this other bullshit. 
and then they're still not making any money. They're spending money on the belief that somehow, some way, magically, all these big wrapper things are going to pull the business into them, and then it doesn't. And then they let years pass, and they build up these big credit card balances, and they fell out of real estate. And that honestly breaks my heart. And it, I think it's sick that our industry allows agents to make mistakes like that because it's not like the brokers and the office managers don't know that that's stuff. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, brokers have gotten in on the action. Brokers who have these relationships with Zillow where they're margining the leads back to their agents, where they're making a cut on it, they've been corrupted by Zillow. All these types of things, guys, are coming unglued right now. All these little business ideas that only sort of kind of worked in a seller's market, they're all coming unglued. And where does that leave you, the individual practitioner, and many individual practitioners? It's going to leave them out in the cold. They're not going to make it because they've never actually taken the time to learn how to be useful to the, as the sellers and, frankly, the buyers that need them the most. They've been so, they've been so uh, just absolutely in love with the idea that they can somehow delegate, inter, disintermediate themselves, form big teams, never have to do the real work, hire ISAs to do the prospecting, you know, send your postcards and the leads will follow. They, you guys have been so fooled, so scammed by all these types of thoughts that you have not taken the time yet to actually learn what you need to learn to be relevant in a market like this. Does that make sense? I know it does. I know you don't want to hear it. <laughs> I know you don't want to hear it. That's the reason nobody else is saying it. That's the reason it's just prominently Julie and I on this podcast and in our coaching programs that are telling you the truth because you guys don't want to hear it. You want to hear that there's some sort of shortcut. You want to hear that there's some sort of secret. You want to hear that there's some sort of secret sauce or you know whatever that you can just sprinkle on everything and make the problems go away. You don't want to hear that everything you want in life is on the other side of doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do at the highest level. You don't want to hear it. I get it, but I ain't going to stop saying it. Neither is Julie. We're going to keep saying it because it's the truth. And as the market continues to change, some of you are listening to us and you've listened to us before, and you're saying, oh, they're just overstating it. They're just being – your inner skeptic is saying, oh, Tim and Julie, they've got their own agenda. Tim and Julie are this. Tim and Julie are – you guys are making these stories up about us. But here's the thing. You are completely wrong because the fact is it would be easier for me and Julie to sell you guys stuff – that's easy button stuff. That's the reason everybody else does it. It would be easy for us just to sell centers of influence and past client stuff because everybody likes it. Agents love to buy it because they think that they won't have to actually make themselves uncomfortable ever. It would be easy for us to sell you guys into the belief that you can just run Facebook ads or Instagram ads or you can just do marketing with clever copy and somehow that's going to make the phone ring. You would love it. You'd buy it all day because you'd be like, oh, yes, finally, give me more of that so I don't actually have to make myself uncomfortable, so I don't actually have to do what I don't want to do when I don't want to do it at the highest, uh, highest level. Tell me all this easy passive stuff. So we would make a lot more money personally if we did that, but we won't because it's, at, it's out of integrity. It's immoral in our opinion. When you know something's true and if you're not willing to tell other people what you know is true – you're a son of a bitch, and we won't be a sons of bitches. So we're going to continue to tell the truth. We're going to continue to tell the truth, and frankly, I'm finding more and more people are, hey, guess what? You know, I wish I would have listened to you before. More In a changing market like this, this is when everyone starts emailing us asking how the heck and what the heck can I do with my brokerage. They're emailing us, and they're asking, what the heck can I do with this real estate team that's unprofitable? This is the time, and this is the type of market where people come to us because they know we're going to tell them the truth. If you need help 
we want to help you. Email me directly, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. If you want to download those free books and have a free coaching call with one of our new member coaches, text the word Harris to 31996. Text the word Harris to 31996. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.